I saw that if you are a proper preacher, you do this. Put the watch up there. <laughs> and then ignore it. <laughs> That's quite true, mate. <laughs> and and, and as, a, as sort of like when you're in the congregation, you go, oh, that's, that's comforting. That means they're going to finish and bang on time. Well, I can't promise you that. It's just that it's a bit help, more helpful to me. Because I do, I am, I don't know, I'm just really, I don't know, I just feel so so pumped, um, so passionate about uh, what um, what's on my heart today. And I, and I do want to kind of get to the to the good stuff, you know. All right. Oh, yeah, I've got a PowerPoint. Didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I was so passionate about this morning. <laughs> and other reasons. Anyway. Ascend. But first I'm going to take a deviation because that's what I like to do. Those of you who are of a certain age, young, young like me, you might remember a movie that came out uh, back in 1977. I was born in 77, so I never saw it. Um, when it came out in 77, I saw it a few years later on VHS at my cousin Dan's house because they had one and we didn't. We had a tiny black and white TV um, with no VHS. Anyway, diversion. Keep on track. Got my clock here. Um, the movie was Stu. Yell it out. Star Wars! At the time it was called Star Wars, and then they did a whole lot of prequels, and so now it's called Star Wars Episode 4 A New Hope. But if you remember it, there's this scene of a duel between uh, old Ben Kenobi, Obi Wan Kenobi, and Darth Vader, right? Okay, put up your hands if you don't know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows. Good, okay, good. <laughs> you've seen it, Zoe, I'm sure you've seen it. I know you're. Pardon? I'm going to describe it anyway. Obi-Wan Kenobi, he's this old Jedi knight. He's got, he looks old and frail. He's a bit like Dad, but he's got hidden, <laughs> but he's got, he's got hidden power. And like my dad, when I was growing up, he, he told me about how he, he learned how to do judo. And so if you ever tried to fight him, he'd flip you over. A bit like, um, yeah, anyway, so what did you get to, Dad? Brown belt. Orange. Yellow, yellow belt. So hidden power, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi is a bit like that. And then finally you have this matchup uh, between Obi-Wan Kenobi and, this is going to be the rest of the sermon, I don't know, <laughs> and, and Darth Vader. And then, and they're, you know, they're, they're flicking their lightsabers around and you go, come on, Obi-Wan Kenobi, just like uh, get Death, Darth Vader's head off and it's going to be game over and we can go home and have popcorn or whatever. And then he does this dumb thing and he goes... Um, I wish I could do his voice, but I can't. If you, he goes, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And if you look, if you look closely at that scene, he's just holding his, holding his stick, sorry, his, his lightsaber. And Darth Vader like, goes, to, goes to chop him in half, but before he even chops him in half, Obi-Wan Kenobi just disappears and his empty brown cloak falls to the ground. You go, well, that was lame. Like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you had this chance of taking down you know, Darth Vader, and all you did was evaporate. Great. <laughs> Moving on. But, you know, he had to do that because you had the rest of the movie to go. But, but he has this line, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And I always thought that was a bit stink because, uh, like, you watch the rest of the Star Wars movies, and really, what does he do? Like, he becomes this ghost. Like, that's, that whispers encouraging things to Luke occasionally, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Saying nice things to Luke. And, um, and, Luke, and Luke Skywalker, like, you know, the movie's called A New Hope because, well, I guess if Ben, Obi-Wan Kenobi was the old hope, well, he's, he's dead, and so you got Luke Skywalker, who's the new hope. Um, I'm sorry to Star Wars fans if I've just destroyed your favorite movie, Stu. But anyway, so 
even though some people, like if you, you hear about this every time they do a census, um, the numbers are keep going up actually. Uh, more and more people are claiming to be Jedis. Uh, and so they they believe that it's a um, I, I don't know if they believe it, but they say they do that that's their that's their religion, right? But most of us realise um, again, like I hope I'm not offending too many of you, but most of us realise it's a made up story. It's a made up story, but <laughs> you're walking out, <laughs> bang, oops. Oh, well, there goes another one. Um, anyway, it's a made up story, but it's I've got this ancient theme. Uh, it's common and. Um, most stories, ancient theme of the battle of, of uh, good versus evil, uh, light versus darkness. Right? This is the big story that we all yeah, we try to make sense of and uh, what the Bible actually does make sense of. All right, so back to my PowerPoint. Okay, <clears throat> yes. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who are we talking about? Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything that has been made, that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light versus darkness, right? This is the kind of coming to connect, <laughs> connecting with, with Star Wars. John is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. He pre-existed all things. He, he was in the beginning with God. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, and darkness cannot overcome him. Now we're going to jump, going to jump around a wee bit. A few days ago, as, as we talked about at communion time, a few days ago was, was Ascension. June, June the 13th was Ascension Day. And uh, as I said, it's uh, the day that roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus ascended into heaven. But it's uh, really, and this is going to be the focus of what I'm talking about today, and I want to kind of like set it into the right, right context. So some of you, this might, might be old news, but I still want to do it. It might seem like a long time ago, <laughs> six, it's only six weeks, six weeks ago was Easter. And Good Friday was the day that Jesus, uh, Jesus was crucified. It says that darkness covered the land. And Jesus, as we talked about before, Jesus, perfect, sinless, the Son of God, this person that many people had placed their hopes and dreams on, he went willingly to the cross and was lifted up and crucified on a man-made cross of all things, taken upon himself our sins. <clears throat> taken upon himself our guilt, taken upon himself our, our separation from God. It was the moment that looked like utter defeat, but Jesus talked about it like it would be victorious, that it would be key in his ultimate victory. And I've got a couple of passages just to sort of, um, uh, as examples. Like in John 16, 16, he goes, a little while, he's talking to his disciples, a little while and you'll see me lo- no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. And he's talking about in a little while, because this is when he gives this message, it's actually um, just in the, in the days before his crucifixion. In a little while, you'll see me no longer. He's gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm going to be buried. And a little while later, you'll see me. And then later on the same passage, a few verses later, he goes, So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from, from you. Okay, so the sense of something bad's going to happen. I'm going, to be going, I'm going to be going away from you, but there's going to be this joy that no one's going to take from you. And another, another example I've got is from Matthew. 
And again, like he's talking to his disciples about what's going to happen. And he goes, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then a few verses later, he goes, says to them, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Right? So there's, there's this connection of, all right, something bad's going to come. Something bad's going to happen. I'm going to be killed. But this is like key. This is like, this is like, this is part of the victory. Let your rain come, Lord. Let your wind come, Lord. Speak to us today. <laughs> I saw it first. So. Yeah. So in Star Wars, right? In Star Wars, you have Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he goes, oh, you, you cut me down. I'm just going to become more powerful. But then we discover that he just becomes a, a pretty lame ghost. <laughs> he says he's going to become one with a force. But unlike Obi-Wan Kenobi, like his, his, his death, sorry, unlike Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jesus didn't disappear and become a, co- become a ghost. In, in the scene of uh, Star Wars, you got Darth Vader swinging his lightsaber and then just like this empty cloak falling on the ground. That's not what happened at crucifixion. Jesus died on the cross, physically died on the cross. His body was still there on the cross. They took down his body. They wrapped it up in, wrapped it up in cloths and they buried it in a tomb. And yet Jesus' uh, death is his victory. Obi-Wan's victory, well, it's just a made-up story, but it's nothing compared to Jesus. In Jesus' death, Jesus made death subject to him. Death is swallowed up in Jesus' victory. And how do we know? I'm yelling. (laughs) How do we know? Because of the resurrection. Okay. Jesus' life. Jesus' life, we read this before, that, you know, that life was in Jesus. So if you try to kill, if you try to kill Jesus, death is destroyed. Life overcomes death every time. Life overcomes death. Death is separation, separation from God. Ultimately, that means separation from the source of life. Jesus suffered that separation for us, but in his resurrection proves that he is more powerful than death. He made death his subject. Death could not hold him down. Who remembers that old song? Death could not hold him down. He's risen. Risen. Okay. That's the resurrection. And then on the 40th day after Resurrection Sunday, we get to ascension. Jesus ascended into heaven. <laughs> I, I was complaining about the statistic the other day because... You know how you know how when you read the Bible and you kind of got long bits of the Bible that are about short periods of time, and then you got short bits of small bits of the Bible that are about massive big long bits of time, and it was like this here, right? And I know I, you know, I got Lord, I know that you kind of got your perfect plan, but it would have been great if you had more time spent on the resurrected Jesus, because we have all the Gospels, and you know Jesus was um, you know maybe he was around for uh, walking the earth for about thirty three years. And then he's resurrected, and it seems like he's keen as a mung bean to get home with his dad. And so in the Gospels, you've got a, a one, one chapter in Matthew about his resurrected, resurrected Jesus. One, anyway, one, one chapter, one chapter, and then two chapters in, in one of them. Hardly anything. I think this is a, actually like this in a lot of the movies and stories that we watch. So you've got the, the build-up, the build-up, the build-up, the build-up, the tension, and then, uh, and then not much happens after that. 
right? You kind of got the... Anyway, <clears throat> sidetracked. He's keen as a mung bean to get home to his, to his father in heaven. But there's these stories, and we've kind of been looking at them over the past um, one month and a half, like of the resurrected Jesus. And there's this one really amazing story, and I know Rachel talked about it a few weeks ago, but I want to kind of go back there. And, and it's a story that uh, happens outside Jesus' tomb. And you've got a few women there, and one of them it says uh, that Mary Magdalene, she was outside his tomb, and she was weeping because they saw that the stone was rolled away. They, she saw that there was no body left in there. It's like, where's he gone? Someone's robbed uh, robbed this grave and taken his body away. She didn't realize that Jesus was resurrected. And then they got, they got this. It's almost, it's almost like a comedy, like Jesus appearing to her. This is the resurrected Jesus, the King of Kings. And she sees him and she thinks he's the gardener. And she thinks that he, the gardener, has taken the body away. And then Jesus simply says her name. He simply says her name, Mary. And in it, like, who knows what was happening within her heart, but she suddenly realized, it dawns on her, that he's not, he's not the gardener, but he's Jesus. He's alive, and he's standing before her in the flesh. And then, and then she must have embraced him. Like, she must have given him a big cuddle, not wanting to let him go. Because he says to her, did I put this up on here? Man, this is going great this morning, isn't it? Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Like, so she must have given him a big cuddle and not wanting to let him go. I, had a, I, don't know, I wasn't going to go into this, but during the week I had a strange dream. And, uh, and in it, I was... I was um, a kid, a kid again, and one of the things that we used to like doing uh, when we were quite young is to go up into the hill, up into the hill behind our place, and we'd make these uh, like almost like sleds, and we'd uh, sled down. It doesn't snow in Wellington, right? But we have lots of pine needles, and we'd sort of like we'd we'd go pine sledding. <laughs> anyway, so in my dream, I was back up on the hill, and um, and <laughs> and and uh, my grandpa was there, mum's dad. He died in 1987. I, it's crazy. I, I was like, why am I having a dream about him? He's, he's been in heaven since 1987. Anyway, we're, we're playing up there, and, and, he, and, he, and he, slides down, he slides down these pine needles on these sleds that we used to do. And I was waiting for at the bottom of him, and he, and he lands at the bottom, and I, and I wrap my arms around him. I said, I love you so much. It's funny, he's been dead such a long time, eh? I love you so much. And I, and I was holding him in my dream because I didn't want to let him go. <laughs> I didn't want him, and he said these strange things to me, you know. And you know, I said to him, "Grandpa, you're a house." <laughs> I don't know why. You're a house, and he looks at me, and he's like, has these, has these spark on his eyes. He goes, "And you're a mouse." <laughs> it's like, and then I woke up. And I was like, I didn't know what that makes sense of. <laughs> but then I was writing this sermon, and, and suddenly it struck me. I was dreaming about Grandpa, but it was a revelation of Jesus. And it was a revelation of Mary, and she saw the resurrected Jesus, and she wrapped her arms around, don't leave me again, Jesus. And it's like Jesus going, and, and then she kind of goes, you know, you're my house, you're what I want to like, live, and I want to abide in you. And, and anyway, there's that invitation to be a mouse in Jesus' house. <laughs> uh, um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to say that my grandpa is Jesus. <laughs> he 
He was good, but he's not as good as Jesus. Anyway, quite amazing, eh? And so she wraps him, and he goes, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And I always thought that was such a strange thing to say. But, he, but then he goes, goes to my, Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He's like inviting them in, inviting them in. He was resurrected, but he wasn't ascended. And so I, I said it before when I, when I was talking about the definition of, of the word ascend. Um, ascension is not, not simply like going up the cable car. Going up the cable car is fun. You go up the hill, you get a great view, or climbing up Mount Vic again. But Jesus' ascension is, is like that, but not like that. It's really, really important for us to kind of, kind of get our heads around this. Ascension was the moment that Jesus moved from, from our earthly dimension, things you can touch, right? The space, the space here, 147 Thorn and Key. He moved from this dimension into the heavenly dimension. So yes, it says in the scriptures that he went, went up and disappeared into the cloud. But that doesn't mean that he's up there somewhere, like far away, all right? He moved from one dimension to another dimension. Uh, Tim Keller, he said he left the limitations of the, of the time-space continuum. And I really love that. I, always, I keep coming back to it. He left the limitations, which means he's not limited. He left the limitations of time and space. He's not limited by time and space anymore. Heaven is his throne room, and it's from heaven that Jesus rules and reigns. He didn't go somewhere else in the sense of distancing himself from us. He didn't do a runner. He didn't do an Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's still with us. He didn't, he didn't take off in a rocket ship like an astronaut into outer space. While remaining flesh and blood, while remaining flesh and blood, he's left the physical constraints of our current reality. Bit mind-blowing, eh? Bit of a mind spin. So we need to ground this is and this is profound and it's hard to get our heads around, but it's but it's foundational also. And so we need to we need to make sure that we are grounded in scriptures. And so I'm just going to uh, quickly um, talk about a couple of them, and then I'll come back to one of them a bit later on. So there's two accounts of Jesus' ascension, only two, <laughs> and both of them come from Dr. Luke. The first one is in the Gospel of Luke. Funnily enough, in chapter 4, which I read before from, uh, when, in communion, and the next one is in, in the beginning of Acts. So if, you, uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, um, the book of Luke, um, there's the book of Luke, and then there's the book of John, and there's the book of Acts. But really, Luke should come together uh, with Acts. It's almost like that. It's joined together. You read the end of Luke, and it just flows naturally into the book of Acts, both written by, uh, by Luke. So anyway, Luke... Uh, first describes the ascension in Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. Luke says, 40 days after Jesus resurrected, 40 days after Jesus was resurrected from the grave, Jesus went to his disciples to Bethany, which is a town just outside of Jerusalem, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, it says, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's quite cool, eh? So imagine like you're praying a blessing on somebody and all of a sudden you're carried up into heaven. I think it's quite cool. But then, okay, and this is really, this is quite key. He parted from them, was carried up to the heaven. And then it says the disciples then worshipped him and joyfully went back to Jerusalem and worshipped him in the temple. So there's two things there. One, they worshipped him. So they recognized that, that he's God. Uh, and two, that they went joyfully back to the temple. So also they recognized that even though he's ascended to heaven, that he hasn't ditched them. Like You remember um, Mary clinging to him outside, outside the tomb. But the disciples recognize that he's ascended. He hasn't left them. 
He hasn't gone somewhere else. He's still with him. They were joyfully went back to the temple. They saw him go, and then they worshipped him. Clearly, they didn't think that he ditched them. And clearly, something significant had, had happened in their hearts. Eh? Something key had happened in their hearts. And then there's a few more details in uh, Game by Luke in Acts uh, 1, 6 to 11. And here, uh, um, I'm just going to tell you a bit about the extra bits. Jesus tells the disciples that they will be empowered by the coming Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. And then it says, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And then angels appeared and they said, they told the disciples that Jesus would return from heaven in the same way that they saw him go. We're going to come back. We're going to come back to this. But first of all, Jesus ascended into heaven and people couldn't see him anymore. But he is actively ruling and reigning. And I, and I just have reiterated it, but he hasn't ditched us. And, uh, and people uh, call this, this present time, uh, like this season in between Jesus' um, ascension and his, Jesus' return, they call it the session of Jesus. The session of Jesus, because Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the king. He's ruling and reigning. He's ruling and reigning over all creation uh, from heaven. And how do we know? <laughs> there's, two, there's two bits of evidence <laughs> that, that I want to look at. There's way more, but there's two bits of evidence that I want to look at. And the first one is this. Jesus, uh, Jesus promises, I will send, I'm going to send uh, the Holy Spirit. He says, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. So he promises that the Holy Spirit's going to come. Then he ascends and then 10 days later, what happens? Whoa, yes, 10 days later. It's like one of the first things Jesus does from his throne room in heaven is deliver on his promise. And he sends the, sends the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that next week. <laughs> the come next Sunday. Who knows what's going to happen next Sunday. But I know that we'll talk about the, we're going to talk about the Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit upon those 120 people. The impact of the Holy Spirit on those people cannot be, under, cannot be overstated. <laughs> he completely changed them. Uh, um, when you go home, if you remember anything from this morning, then remember that next week is Pentecost Sunday and just to read uh, Acts, spend some time in those scriptures and think about what was happening. And even, even on your own, invite the Holy Spirit because he's still active in our world today. Anyway, the Holy Spirit completely changed, changed them. And, then, and when you read it, notice how Jesus' followers did the things that Jesus did. Uh, and it's through the Holy Spirit from Jesus. They healed people. They delivered people. Signs and wonders. The things that Jesus was doing. And now there's his followers. Like uh, in my Bible it says, uh, this book, Acts, is called the Acts of the Apostles. I often think that it would be better off saying like the Acts of the Holy Spirit maybe. Or the, or the Acts, of, Acts of people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing he did from his throne room in heaven was send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then becomes evidence of Jesus' ascension. We often ask for help here at CV, yeah? We all kind of go, oh, can you come and help with can come and help with the hospital team? We need people to welcome people. We do actually. I'm not just joking about it. We do need people to help uh, and welcome people and to um, get hot drinks ready and to make things comfortable for people and to help clean up afterwards. In the book of the Act, in the book of Acts, 
One of the Holy Spirit transformed people to be chosen for the hospital team was Stephen. And Stephen was carefully chosen to help serve the tables, it says. And so, you know, hospitality. And he, and he was chosen so that the apostles could preach the word of God. And he, and he was of good repute. Like, uh, <laughs> their standards for being on the hospital team were uh, right up there, of good repute. He was full of the spirit and wisdom. And uh, these were the requirements to be in the hospital team. He was so full of the Holy Spirit that he did amazing signs and wonders. It says he did signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. He spoke with incredible wisdom. And, the, and it's crazy. Anyway, he spoke with amazing wisdom. He's doing amazing things. And, of course, this brings him into, the, into conflict with the, with the powers of darkness. And in this case, um, the, 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 there, was, there was people that came uh, in opposition to him. These were the religious Jews, and they hated him so much that uh, what he said enraged them. And so they took him out of the city of Jerusalem and stoned him to death. And to this day, it's, this is why it's hard to get people to join the hospital team. <laughs> Sign up to do hospital. You might get stoned. <laughs> but not in Wellington. Hmm. Well, uh, you might get stoned in the hut. Uh, <laughs> But listen to what happens. Okay, and so remember, like the, this is really soon after Jesus' ascension. Uh, somebody could probably tell you how many days afterwards or how many months. Um, remember, Jesus, Stephen's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been waiting on the tables. He's been doing signs and wonders. They take him out to stone him. And this is, this is what happens. Uh, Acts 7.54. Now, when they, when they heard these things, they were enraged because, well, who wouldn't be enraged when you, saw, when you see somebody doing signs and wonders and healing people and speaking the truth? They were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of the Lord and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, rushed at him, cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen, Stephen saw beyond the veil, right? It was almost like the veil was ripped and he's seeing into the heavenly dimension right into the throne room of God. He saw the ascended Jesus at the right hand of God and this is what's going on right now. If we could see beyond this dimension, if we could like rip, a, rip apart, almost like uh, the, the physical reality with our eyes, we would see right into the throne room of God. We would see Jesus reigning in glory. We would see Jesus with a divine authority from God. And this is what it means to be at the right hand of God. It's a, it's a phrase that's sort of used. But many of us are right-handed and we kind of get it. If someone there is, is at your right hand, it kind of means that they're functioning as your right hand. They're the ones that are, that are doing your writing for you or um, cutting up your food for you. Like the, or in this case, you know, probably being your sword. Right? It's a graphic way. Being at the right hand of God is a graphic way of showing that Jesus functions as the right hand of God. And the early Christians totally got this. They got this so much that the, the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament is Psalm 110.1. And one day I'm going to preach on this. One verse. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord being God the Father, saying to my Lord being Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. <laughs> and the early Christians recognized that the psalm prophetically speaks of the present reality that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, 
Or is that standing at the right hand of God is what, what Stephen saw? And that Jesus' enemies are being made his footstool. He's resting his feet on his enemies. <laughs> I think that's such a cool picture. Imagine like you're sitting in your seat and you want to put your feet up and you go, oh, there's my enemy. He, that looks comfy. And, like, it's, <laughs> and it kind of speaks of how inconsequential uh, the Lord's enemies are to him. They're so inconsequential that he's just going to rest his feet on them. And, you, and also remember that the ultimate enemy of God is, is not uh, the people that we don't like. Uh, it's not the people that, um, that, I don't know, get in our way and stuff like that. Um, the ultimate enemy is death. The separate, what separates us from God is the ultimate enemy, death. And Jesus defeated death in his death. And I think... Every time, every time that someone comes to Jesus and, and places uh, their lives in his hands, they, uh, you know, they, now they have eternal life, and it's like death is defeated in them. Jesus' enemies becoming his footstool. Eternal life becomes our future and not our death. <laughs> I wish I didn't put my clock there now. I know how late I am. But this is good stuff. This is really important. Hebrews. Quickly, Hebrews 1, a long time ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of, on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Over and over again, you read the New Testament. This is the reality. This is how uh, we, we start to make sense of verses like at the beginning of Ephesians where it says, we are seated in heavenly places. We go, that, how does that work out? It's because Jesus is seated in the heavenly places. And as we kind of talked about before in communion, in him we are seated in heavenly places. It makes all the difference in the world. When we come to worship, we're not trying to get to somewhere else. We're seated in heavenly places through Jesus, who is seated in heavenly places. When Jesus ascended, he ascended with his physical body. Nowhere does it say that he left his physical body behind, that he simply ascended spiritually. Again, he is way better than Obi-Wan Kenobi. He is at the right hand of the Father, and he is physical. Oh, man, this, this is so spinning my mind out. All the bits, all the bits that he had on earth, still has. <laughs> you know where my mind is going with this. Um, <laughs> But it spins our minds out because it's hard to think of a physical person being free of the limitations of space and time. How can, how can a physical person be everywhere all at once? How can a physical person be omnipresent? And this is because we don't understand heaven. We think of heaven as being, we still have these cartoon images of heaven being far away, like on the clouds somewhere. We think, oh, heaven, like sometimes when we look at heaven, we look up, and that's not bad, but, it's, but sometimes we've just got to remember, no, heaven's not far, far away. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, our Father in heaven. But he taught us to pray this prayer in our cupboard. Yeah, yeah. Does, where, where's heaven? <laughs> in the cupboard. <laughs> it's not far away. Heaven is so near that he hears our whispered prayers in the cupboards. Heaven is, heaven is near. Heaven is near. And Jesus, the man of heaven, 1 Corinthians 48, the man of heaven is fully present to everyone as a physical resurrected human who fully identifies with us uh, being human, he fully identifies with us. Our temptation identifies with him. Our grief 
identifies with him. Our suffering identifies with him. He's physical. He remembers. He knows. And as a physical human, God, he functions as our high priest from heaven. So he is our heavenly high priest. You see how all these things, they come in together. We need, the ascent, need to understand the ascension to make sense of these other things. He's seated at the right hand of God. And this is why we can approach the throne of God uh, with confidence and boldness. Because right now, a heavenly priest, Jesus, is at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us, it says. All right, we're closing on the end. This is my last point. Um, next week, we celebrate Pentecost. The Holy Spirit like poured out on those Christians, the birthday of the church. And like to this day that the church has continued growing, continued expanding because of the life from the Holy Spirit. And this is I'm gonna come back I know I said it before, but I want to come back to it. The Holy Spirit is the evidence that Jesus is ascended, that Jesus rules and reigns. All right. Acts one eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Jamiria. Jamiria. <laughs> I don't know where that is. And to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they looked on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The Holy Spirit coming upon the believers means that Jesus did ascend. He did ascend. It means that he is ruling and reigning. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. And I think it's really key. The Holy Spirit has sustained the church all this time. It's because of the Spirit of God that we even believe in Jesus. He reveals Jesus to us. It's the work of the Spirit. He reveals the truth of God to us. And then secondly, the angel said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then remember, they went away joyfully, believing this. He's gone into heaven, but he's going to come back. So this means Jesus ascends into heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is evidence that Jesus has ascended. The Holy Spirit then is evidence that Jesus will come again. The Holy Spirit has sustained the church. Sorry, that's the wrong paragraph. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that Jesus will return as he promised. God seals us. Take and seal us, we sang this morning. God seals us and gives us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. That's in 2 Corinthians. Gives us his Spirit as a guarantee. Or put another way, the Holy Spirit coming means that, one, Jesus ascended. Two, that Jesus will return. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. He reveals the truth of who Jesus is. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not be here today. We wouldn't. <laughs> None of us would even believe in God. We need the Holy Spirit. The church would, would never have begun, and for sure the church would not have survived 2,000 years. No way. And so when we pray, come Holy Spirit, man, we're, we're, there's all these things that are coming into play. Lord, Holy Spirit, reveal God to me. Reveal Jesus to me. Holy Spirit, come because when you come, it means that I know that you're ruling and reigning. When you come, it means I know you're going to come again as you left. And so, man, next week, man, we're going to pray this. Come, come Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray it now, actually. But next week, too. And then the week after that, and then the week after that, and then the week after that, and then the week after that. We need a move of the Holy Spirit in our generation. 
Amen. We're getting bored. <laughs> Seriously. Come on, Holy Spirit. We need your life. We need your life. And man, our city needs the Holy Spirit life. So, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. <laughs> Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. This is Paul speaking and me. For many of whom I have often told you, and now I'll tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. The end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven because Jesus is in heaven. When we take communion, we hitch ourselves. We get a ride with him to heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, including death, as we talked about before. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. It's good, eh? It's real cool. Ascension is, uh, man, it's this topic that you could, uh, seriously, I think just spend some time thinking about it. Spend some time. Like go, don't overlook it. Think about what it means. And let's stand and let's wait on the Lord. Invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we long for you. Lord, your word says that you that you send the Holy Spirit, that the Father sends the Holy Spirit, that the Son sends the Holy Spirit. And so would you send your Holy Spirit upon us, even now, Lord. Even now, Lord, 2,000 years after your ascended, 2,000 years after the Holy Spirit fell upon that group of believers. Lord, we, we're, in a, we're in a day and a time that we're so desperate for you, so desperate for your truth, so desperate for your uh, spirit of revelation in, in us. Lord, that we might, um, might know that you are you're ascended, Lord Jesus, that we might have confidence that you rule and reign. Lord, that uh, you might... Um, that we'd have confidence that you have overcome death. That we um, might, Lord, that we might function more and more in your power. Almost like this book of Acts would be the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit on the people of Capital Vineyard Church. So come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. You might want to put out your hands or sort of a, almost like adopting a, um, a physical posture of uh, receiving receiving today would you help us Lord to catch to catch visions of, of you in your glory Lord in your splendor Jesus the risen Lord at the right hand of God Lord that you might capture our hearts for who you are for what you've done thank you God thank you God 